This is an AI Group podcast. Well, work relationships are incredibly important to employee well-being and humans are born to connect. And this is more than just getting along with a co-worker. As humans, we crave contact and connection with other people. But unfortunately for many employees, we can feel isolated, for example, those that might work remotely. And so it's important for employers to understand just how important social connections in the workplace really are. Welcome to this AI Group podcast, The Importance of Social Connection at Work. My name is Grant Cleary and I am National Marketing Manager here at AI Group. And my guests today are Vanessa McCamley and Diana Zweig. Vanessa is the Principal Consultant and Founder of Link Success, a learning and development consultancy specializing in the neuroscience of leadership, performance and productivity to unlock an organization's greatest assets, that is their people's brains. And Diana is people and culture business partner here at AI Group. She has more than 15 years HR and people development experience. Vanessa, welcome back and thanks for joining us, Diana. Thank you. Well, I'm going to start with you, Vanessa. First question for you. Work relationships are incredibly important to employee well-being. We know that. And human beings are born to connect. Tell me more about that. Humans are born to connect. And the research behind that is shown that it's more than just physical needs. And the first six months of life, so from the time that we're born, the right hemisphere Growth relies on facial expression, tone of voice, gestures, eye contact, and timing. So the intensity of the response. So from a biological perspective, the need for human interaction is really key. And that social connection. So if you think about every child that is born, what do they want? What's the very first thing they want? Mum, normally. (laughs) (laughs) But they they want safety, right? They want connection. They want to be loved and nurture. That's what every human being wants, regardless whether we're introverted or extroverted. Yeah, absolutely. And so this this extends into adulthood, obviously, and then it extends into the workplace where we spend, you know, a great many hours of our day normally. So um, so that uh, those things that we're born with, they continue on into into adulthood, and we need to recognise that in the workplace, right? Correct. Okay, so if I've got a group or a, a tribe of people that I work with, uh, it may be an individual or it may be a team, and I'm suddenly disconnected from that. Let's say that person leaves the organisation or even leaves my own team and you know they go into another part of the business. Um, is that going to sort of activate that, that threat state? Absolutely, and can I just say to you, my client just before, the managing director of this organisation was saying, one of her people that she's been working with and helped build up this organisation's leaving, and even though it's for the right reasons, she was talking about there is social pain for that because even though she's happy for this person to go on and it's the right time for this person to go on and do other things, there is a, a sadness to that that happens for her from an emotional perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, this is a good segue, I think, in terms of engagement. So in Australia around half of all employees in Australia at any given time are disengaged. And that's a pretty alarming, you know, statistic. Um, It it impacts things like productivity, it impacts morale, um, and even employee attrition. So 
Why then, why do you think that engagement levels are so low and what are some of the things that we can do to improve engagement and, you know, how is um, our social connection related to this? So I'm going to ask Diana this one. I think engagement levels um, are, there, there are so many factors that, that play into it, but I think if we bring it back to the to the social connectedness that people need, and, and yes, it is all, you know, we're a social being, a, a social animal as, um, as a human, so we, we need those connections for our mental health. We need those for our physical health, as Vanessa just shared, um, and without those um, connections to individuals, you know, everyone has heard the, the, the saying, you know, people don't leave um, businesses, they leave managers. So that very intimate relationship that you have with your manager, with your colleague or your peers, uh, they impact on your productivity, they impact on your, your, in, your engagement. So it is absolutely essential um, as, as leaders and as, um, you know, business owners and, and, um, and, and part of the, the broader business community for us to be ensuring that our people are connecting. So um, why are we all disengaged at this time? I think that's probably a, a bigger question or why are half of us disengaged at this point in time in Australia. It's probably a bigger uh, question that we could answer in, in this particular conversation. But in terms of um, what we can do moving forward, um, that connection and getting us connected to each other is probably a, a, a really good start. So there is something what we do which is called the social motivator. So what we find with behaviour is that understanding the social behaviours and motivations um, of each person is really, really helpful. And the reason that being is that we treat others the way that we like to be treated. And we often when we don't get along with someone or there's a mismatch in communication or how you work or how you collaborate with someone, it's normally because their style is different to yours. And by understanding what yours is and what understanding what someone else is, we can actually bridge that gap in communication a lot more so that we can be talking the same language, so that we're on the same page. We have around 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day and we only speak a fraction of those. So what tends to happen is these information goes around and around in our heads depending on whether they're in our threat state or whether they're in a reward state. And then we are getting information and then we are then decoding what that information means. And so, for example, from a social motivator perspective, there are six core motivators that we find and we call it the access model, which is designed by Kristen Hansen by Enhance and Performance. And it's really about how we influence and engage others with their social motivators. So if I take you through them, the first one for access is autonomy. And autonomy is about ability to make our own choices. So these are people in the workplace that just need to know the higher level, what's the mission goals of the company. And they can basically go and work with their teams or other people to make it actually happen. They don't need to be micromanaged or their hand held. Certainty, these are people who need to know what is coming up next and who's doing what. So if you go back to the company's why, what's our purpose, these people want to ask probably a hundred questions to what does that look like and if we do this then what happens next. And they need a lot more certainty about what are the steps and what's going to happen next. Then you have connection which is what we're here about today and these people 
are people who like to relate to others, but as a whole person. So for example, if Grant, I'm just going to guess for a moment here that connection's important to you, Grant, is then by me just walking in as your manager or leader and saying, can I see you in my office in the next three minutes? Does that put you in a reward or a threat state? That's going to put me in a threat state, I think. I'm thinking, what have I done wrong this time? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, why do I have to uh, disappear into an office with you? Am I in trouble? Yeah, so then let's play that out. You come into my office and I say to you, Grant, thank you so much for giving me the time. I really need your help. We were brainstorming last week. I need to prepare for a board meeting and I really need your ideas that we talked about Project X last week. Can we just brainstorm that? Am I going to get the best ideas out of you? Yeah, that puts me in a reward state because I'm thinking, oh, that, well, they obviously value my opinion. They value my thoughts and, and I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling connected. Great. But if I put you in a threat state, then try to get your ideas flowing, it's going to take you a little bit harder for that to actually happen. Would you agree? Sure, yeah. So connection. So if I was was Grant's manager and I walked up to Grant and I said, hey, Grant, look, I can tell you're really busy. I'm sorry to disturb you, but I really need your ideas. Do you mind coming into my office in the next few minutes and brainstorming so I can present to the board? I guess the, the most simplest way, I guess, our brains are wanting to classify good and bad, right? Yes. So um, you have, what, two seconds to make a snap decision on whether something is good or bad. So in those first seven words, which is, I guess, about two seconds worth of conversation, um, is it something that is threatening me or is it going to be something that is rewarding me? So um, I guess for you're saying here the leader needs to be very conscious that they're going up and if you are wanting to be able to um, connect with that person and bring them on board for whatever next conversation is coming, you are trying def desperately not to, um, to to put the category into the, to the threat, right? Yeah, it's a good so thing, not a bad the, thing. To get the most out of Grant in this scenario, mm -hmm. I need to set him up for success. I need to know, okay, connection's important to, to him. So I need to have a conversation about that and put him into a reward state before getting his ideas, mm -hmm. right? where a lot of people just want to go up to a person and say, hey, Diane, um, I just need this. Can you deliver this to me by this time? Mm -hmm. Great. Have a nice day. And people go, if, you, if you're high connection, I haven't served you in any way, mm -hmm. which is not going to bring out the best of you, and then your brain is going to go into a threat state, for example, if you're high connection. Mm -hmm. So if I work through the next one is equality. So equality is about fairness and equity and it's about normally these type of people don't, don't just fend for self, they fend for others. So if we talk about the fight-flight type scenario, these people tend to fight and stick up for others to make sure that it's all fair and equity for others. Then you have status, which is about status is about the position an individual occupies or feels they occupy relative to others. So it's about they care about titles, they care about their position, they care about being a decision maker at the, at the decision making table. And then safety is about, this is what we call safety from a psychological safety perspective, which is really about getting people to feel safe, to share, to share information, to share ideas without feeling judged. And share whole self rather whole than self. my work facade or my um, uh, PNC committee facade or, or yes. my board uh, executive facade. You, you want to share whole self. 
I like that. Yes, that's exactly right. So if we think about these social motivators, and Vanessa, you've just taken us through um, six potential social motivators, connection, certainty, autonomy, status, equality, safety. Are you suggesting then that a leader could sit down with each of the team members, measure what's most important, so rank them from one to six, what's most important, and then adapt their style according to those social motivators. Absolutely. And this is some of the work that I do is that I get leaders. So anyone on listening to this podcast, do it for self from a self-leadership perspective. Rank one to six. What do you care about most? What do you make your decisions based on? Then what I'd get you to do is highlight your top two because your top two priorities, your social motivators on what you make decisions based on that is how you treat other people. And the bottom two, so your five and six, this is where you might have a gap in your communication to others that rate or rank those as their one and two. So you'll find that all of a sudden you go, aha, this is why I've been having communication troubles with Grant and we're not aligned because I'm treating you based on my one and two, which is your five and six, for example. Yeah, this is fascinating. This is great. And we're going to make this available on uh, website. We'll provide the link afterwards um, uh, so people can go and have a look at this themselves and, and put themselves and their team potentially through this exercise. Okay, I'm going to switch paths a little bit and talk about working remotely. So it strikes me that these days a lot more people are working remotely, you know, anywhere, anytime, any device is a common mantra that we hear these days and people are working from home and, you know, there's no such thing as just being in the office 40 hours a week anymore. So, you know, does that make this concept or the importance of social connection, does that make it even more difficult? I think the simple answer to that is yes, it really does. Um, and I guess working in, in the HR field, it's one of those conversations that we have quite a bit because we absolutely want the best out of our employees. We absolutely want them to be able to work flexibly and to their own schedule and fit in all of the myriad of, of things that we have in our, in our whole lives, not just our work lives. Um, but that uh, distance, and, and we see it through, um, through not only people working remotely, but people working interstate or, or um, internationally as well and having teams across borders, that, that actually is very difficult and it's a conversation that is often brought up by HR teams. How do we keep people um, engaged? How do we keep people uh, working together, collaborating well, feeling connected to the organisation, feeling connected to the mission when we aren't all in the same room? We can't just pile everyone into a giant big mm. meeting room um, and, uh, and, and you know, spruik, spruik the company message. And I think um, this is where those smaller teams are really important. So I said at the beginning, you know, these, um, these we want to be part of a, a team. So it is really important, yes, from a leadership and, a, and an executive perspective and the CEO has got to have great vision or the owner or the business owner has got to have a great vision about what they would like to do with the organisation. But what they've got to do is enable really good leaders at the local level or at the, um, at the frontline level to be engaging one-on-one -on -one with their teams. And yes, if that is remote or interstate or internationally, that's fine, but it is getting that connection um, at the individual team level that's going to be really important to make people feel connected um, to the bigger picture. 
So just to add on to that, so from a research perspective on this whole social uh, connection and social pain versus social reward, is that they did this uh, testing from a neuroscience and it was called Cyberball. And what it was is they put a group of people um, under an fMRI scanner and they had questions that they had to answer on their response to what was happening to them. And what it was is, and I want you to imagine that the three of us, so Grant, Diana and I, are on this game together, playing this tech game where we're throwing a ball, passing a ball to one another. And what happened is I think that I'm throwing the ball to you two and you, the both of you were throwing the ball back to me, but it was actually a simulation where what they did, the neuroscientists changed the game so that we were passing the ball equally and fairly and all of a sudden you excluded me and weren't throwing the ball to me any anymore. And then they, what they did was they tracked the results and the emotions of how people were feeling from being excluded. And so they got some amazing results to show that a lot of people, a high percentage, actually felt rejected, felt hurt, felt left out. And there were some people that had the response to, from a resilience perspective, said, okay, you're throwing the ball to me, you weren't now, I'm okay with that, that's cool, I'll move on. So different people had different emotional responses to what put them in a threat and a reward state. Now relating this back to remote workers or people that are not at head office, for example, is that if they feel they're being excluded and the ball's not being thrown to them because they're not in the office seeing people face to face, then they may be having similar responses to those in the cyber ball, right? But talking to an amazing leader last week at a forum, he shared that the money that he saved by not having offices in certain places, he uses the money that he would have for the office to actually bring people together so that they'll do team building on a really frequent basis to make sure that everyone working remotely comes in with their team and spends that time to connect on a regular basis. And I thought that was a really great idea for leaders. That's brilliant. That's really good. And a couple of other things I picked up from you both as well is, you know, if you do have uh, a remote team. So let's say that you're based in Sydney and you have team members in Singapore. Um, I think it's important for those local leaders to take up the concept of virtual virtual leadership. And that is, Absolutely. even though someone's not reporting directly to them, um, it's almost this duty of care thing that, you know, I know that their boss is remote and their boss may not have the opportunity to check in on them, you know, on a frequent basis or at least face-to-face. So I'm just going to wonder at that person and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, is everything okay? Is there anything I can help you with? So I, I think there's there's an opportunity to do something like that. Um, and even from a learning and development perspective, which is what I specialise in from a neuroscience perspective, we I often work with teams of people that some of them are face-to-face and a lot of them are dialling in from all around the world. And like... I get them to do activities and I record it from both online and face-to-face. So I even take photographs of us as a team and I've got the virtual <laughs> and the physical all in one so that people feel included in a part of it even though they're not physically there. Yeah, and I think the technology can go a long way towards that. And we all know the technology, the video conferencing, the audio conferencing and so forth. But it's interesting that technology doesn't necessarily make you more connected. And I've read about this recently as, as parents of teenagers 
um, that in this digital world, um, some kids are feeling more disconnected than ever. Even though you would think they they have you know they have all this social media and they have all these opportunities to keep in touch with their friends, you know, twenty four seven, they actually feel disconnected, and that physical connection is often what they crave the most. There was a study because um, I have a toddler. I'm, I'm at the other end of the the scale. There was a study that uh, I I looked into, and for the life of me, I can't remember it now. Of course, but uh, hopefully, I'll get to to share afterwards some links that talked about um, toddlers learning uh, a second language. So it showed, um, the, the study looked at toddlers learning via uh, a screen, um, some type, you know, iPad or, or a TV, that showed, uh, I think, 20 sessions that was um, in another language, a language other than the language that was spoken at home for that toddler, versus uh, another group of toddlers that were face-to-face. And what they found is despite the exact same, I guess, uh, teaching going on, um, both had a physical presence but one um, remotely, the toddlers that had an actual human in the same room with them um, not only uh, learnt that language faster but actually retained some of that language well beyond, I guess, when when the lessons stopped. So I thought that was really interesting in the way that... um, as humans, we actually do need that face-to-face contact. So the technology is amazing, and no one is doubting that we've been able to do some some really phenomenal things, um, you know, worldwide with the technology that's in place now. But in terms of our connectedness, we are, I guess, um, maybe hardwired might not be the right word, but we are wired in a way that requires face-to-face contact as a social being. So it's a... Uh, I don't think it's ever going, that face-to-face component for leaders is never going to go away. Yep, great, great comments. Okay, now, Diana, I'm going to stay with you because I know that you're a fan of Andrew O'Keefe. I'm not familiar with Andrew's works, but you talked to me earlier about a couple of books that he's written, Hardwired Humans and The Boss. So tell me a bit more about Andrew and some of his works around social motivations. So... Andrew has worked with Jane Goodall of the, you know, the chimpanzee fame. Um, a lot of people would be quite familiar with Jane Goodall's work. And uh, Andrew compared families of chimpanzees with, I guess, where human families sit and, uh, and, and groups, of, uh, groups of humans. And so he talks about the fact that we've only really been in offices and factories and, and the like for the last couple hundred years but our um, DNA, our coding for who we are and how we interact with others is millions of years old. And as a, uh, as a social animal, humans are looking for groups. They're looking for families to work together uh, in small groups. So the, the, the magic number that Andrew talks about in, in his books is seven so for a leader to have a group of seven direct or six direct reports plus themselves is um, is the magic number. It's sort of being able to be large enough to be considered part of a social uh, group and intimate enough that every single one of those people get a, a really um, tight connection. So um, being able to uh, connect more than just on work pieces. So this is being able to have the ability to, you know, walk into work and say, hey, did you watch the Bachelor finale last night and what did you think? And maybe it's not the Bachelor, but 
the, the point being that we are able to um, interact beyond uh, the, the workpiece and that being really important. So some of, some of the stuff that Andrew talks about in his, his work. Yeah, that's interesting. I've heard the pizza analogy before as well, that the ideal size of a team should be, you know, about the size of a, a group that would eat a pizza. So two, so. two then? No. <laughs> no, just me then? Yeah, it depends, depends how big they like the slice. Um, okay, so Vanessa, as leaders, what, what more can we do to enhance social connections in the workplace? I know that we've covered quite a bit of stuff today, but you know, how would you summarise? What are some of the things we can do? I think understanding the social motivators, what actually drives someone, what actually drives their decision making. So using that access model that we talked about before is highly important. So knowing what your top two and what your bottom two and what they are for your people. The next tip I would I would give is what we call the three E models, which looks at where the energy effort and engagement comes from and understanding what that is for self and what it is for other people to know where is it where you get those rewards? Where does your energy come from when you're working on specific projects with certain people that gives you that high? Because that's where productivity and engagement comes from. And then also know where the threats are for you and for your people that actually takes your energy away. So understanding your preferences, where energy, motivation comes from is really important versus where does it actually take your energy away? Yeah, the energy one's really interesting, is it? Because you often hear people saying they'll walk into a, a, an organisation or walk into an office or even walk into a floor and they'll get a feel for the energy. They'll get a feel for the buzz and the, and how well people are interacting and the energy. And it's often an X factor, isn't it, that you think, oh, well, I can't really measure that. That's just that's just how it is. But what you're saying is you actually can measure some of the stuff and you can, you can promote it in the organisation. Emotions are contagious. And I'm sure we, I've talked about this in the past in the previous podcast that we have done together, Grant, but emotions are really contagious. And I, th- I think I gave you an example of being on the train recently and I was reading my neuroscience study which sounds like I'm a real geek, but I was on the train reading this stuff and all of a sudden I bumped my head and I'm thinking, why am I doing that? I looked up and I bumped my head before a person two seconds later bumped their head. So even though I wasn't consciously aware, subconsciously my brain knew that this person was going to bump their head and I ducked even before they did. We pick up people's energy more so than what we realise and it happens subconsciously. So we are very aware of people's energy and connection. And if someone's in a really bad mood, we're actually going to feel feel that. And even though they might come on in and they put on a fake smile, is that we're going to pick up their vibes and it will actually affect our performance and our productivity and how we connect, whether it's in meetings or whether it's in social groups or at the water cooler, we pick up those vibes. So this is about authenticity as well, right? Well, it's about authenticity. It's also about regulating. So we all have things that happen to us, whether it's internal or external, whether it's getting to work and trying to get out the door and your kid's not being organised or (laughs) that's one of my threat triggers, just letting you know, um, is that that we all have these triggers and if we let those triggers 
affect us and it affects our moods. If we feel rushed or we care about being on time or letting someone else down for not being on time, then it's going to throw our threat state. And if we take that to work, then it's going to actually affect other people's emotions and how we actually connect with those people. So how your brain goes to work and how it performs at work, the same as when you go home. If you've really had a tough day at work, and you're trying to connect with your loved ones, like, for example, my son who's 15, say, Mum, can you help me with, with my homework? I'm going to look and my brain's going to cry, going, no, I, don't, I can't do, I've got nothing left in my brain to be able to help work out a math equation right now, you know? And then he's going to feel like I'm not caring for him or not helping him. So then you have this chain effect of your brain being absorbed at work, for example, and then being able to connect with your loved ones from a social connection at a work, sorry, at a personal level. So how do we manage this? I mean, do we, does this mean that we, we pretend it's not happening? You know, we're having a bad Monday morning. Things haven't started well. We get to work and we're feeling really grumpy. Um, do we just pretend, oh, everything's rosy and everything's fine and put on the happy face or uh, do we acknowledge it and say to our team, oh, I've had a bad start to the day, but I'm wiping the slate clean and, you know, I'm in a better mood now. You know, how do we manage that? So one of my key tips, and I think I've given this to you before, Grant, is what we call the blah. So B stands for breathe. We need to increase the oxygen to our brain. So our brain takes 20% of all the oxygen that we inhale. So when we feel like a threat or a trigger is actually released, if we can breathe and increase the oxygen, it resets the brain, becomes a bit more balanced. Label how we're feeling. So do not throw it under the carpet because it will come back <laughs> to bite you later. So what we want to do is actually go, yes, I'm feeling flustered. You know, my son didn't do this and I didn't get to work on time and I feel flustered. To just breathe, label, yes, that's frustrating, but what's in my control right now? What's in my area of influence in this situation right now? What can I do? And reappraise. How can I see this from a different perspective? How else could I um, deal with this situation and calm my brain to be in a reward state? So, Diana, just thinking about your career over the past 15 years and you don't need to name organisations – but have you seen a best practice organisation that does social connection really, really well or heard of a best practice example? And what, what are they doing well and what can we learn from that? I think the big one is, is, is bringing it down to the, to the individual leaders in, in, in that organisation. So where I've seen it being most successful is where there is a commonality of, or not, not of style, but of, of education of those leaders of expectations of those leaders, of how they are to be connecting with their with their employees. So we all know, and we talk about um, you know psychological safety now. We talk about um, making sure that workplaces are safe for employees beyond their physical being. But now we're we're going into the territory of psychological well being as well. The organisations that do it really well put that element of psychological safety in. First and foremost, so that is um, being able to share of yourself, um, whole self, with uh, with the organisation in a way where you feel it's not going to bite you as a result of being all of you. So you don't have that facade on; you are all of you. So I think where I've seen it done really well 
clear expectations, clear expectations of leaders, lots of training um, put in for those leaders because it's not an inherent um, way of being for some people to be connected to others. Some people have their own demons that they need to deal with before they can get to a place of supporting others. So if you have um, uh, an organisation that knows what they want to achieve, puts that in place for those leaders, follows up those leaders and keeps them accountable to that behaviour, then you you start to have a really good place, a really good place to have the conversations beyond. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. And so then it's embedded into the culture of the organisation because you're going to get some leaders who this comes very naturally to them, they do it really well. Other leaders, not so much. But if you want a culture that embraces this and makes it part of their DNA, um, then, yeah, some leaders will need some training on it. So, and this is how we do things around here now. So, yeah. To give you an example of one of my clients who I've just recently filmed his case study and his journey and his story, he's very much a very great strategic leader, unbelievable brain, thinks like a chessboard game and has understands where the company is going, the direction, how to grow. He's growing double digit at the moment. And what he realised is that the behaviours that got him to be successful weren't sustainable for the growth that he really wanted to drive in the next two to three years. And he knew that he needed a coach to help him, to be able to help his thinking and to create new wiring within his brain to be able to achieve those goals. And he's gone from having to win to actually helping his people and his leaders be successful in business. And what he does on a regular basis, he brings, he flies his team in together because they're all over the place, brings them together and he cooks for them. And when I say cooks, he cooks from scratch these amazing, amazing meals and he tail, tailors it to their dietary requirements so he knows what they like, what they don't like. And he brings people together over a meal to connect, not just talk about business, but to connect as a group, as a team, like what Diana was talking about before, so that you feel like you're part of a tribe. And this has been really successful for him, A, because he likes cooking, which is a bonus. He cooks better than I do, that's for sure. But secondly, he brings people together to feel like they're a part of something that's more than just hitting these goals and these targets. And it makes them feel like that they're important to him. And so he's now got this closer connection to him than what he's ever had before than just dealing on the business numbers and hitting targets. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant example. And it's a very personal thing as well that he's bringing something that he really enjoys and he's bringing people together. It's not unlike a family really, is it? You, you all get together and you share a meal together, you know, it might be Christmas Day or whatever it is. Um, you really enjoy the experience of that meal and you enjoy the food and it does connect you. It does connect you. So I think that's a brilliant example and there's and probably I've, lots of ways that you can achieve that. And then I've had another leader, like what you're talking about, I've had a leader that stayed up all night and baked cookies the night before to make sure that we, you know, that was her way of actually showing um, that I care about you, I made these cookies and I'm giving you a personal message along with those cookies that really make you feel that you're more connected to that leader in a, in a different way. And on that point, everyone should have a coach, I believe. It's so powerful to have someone who's independent, who's there to get the best out of you as a leader. 
Um, okay, so engagement levels at work. So if I think about some of these surveys or some of these awards, um, best places to work is something that comes to mind. Um, these organisations that consistently get in the top 20 for those awards, you know, they're the voted by their employees as the best places to work, they're going to have high engagement levels. My assumption is they're going to have high social connection levels as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, so these high top performers, they're doing some really amazing things from a leadership perspective, from a cultural and behavioural perspective. And they are having the vision, the why that is meaningful and purposeful. They align the values of, of the company but also to the people that they work with. They create trust with their people which is really, really important because not everything is smooth sailing. We're mitigating and dealing with more complex problems today than we ever have before. We create a voice for ideas, allowing people, it's what Diana was saying before, allowing people to be able to speak, have psychological safety, to share ideas that are meaningful. And energy is seen as a valuable resource. And this is what I think top leaders are doing. Plus, they're making their people smile and laugh three times more than average performing teams. Wow. So that, all that is going to have a massive impact on the culture and the motivations and the engagement levels. Um, well, we've covered so much today. Um, thank you, Vanessa and Diana. Thank hope you. you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have and uh, hope to do it all again soon.